Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. Hey everybody, everybody, hey everybody. Cheers, Brady. Mm. Cheers, man. And welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch. That person that you heard going, cheers, man. Uh, That's Brady. And my name's Rob. Um, And this week we did The Godfather. Uh, We did. The Godfather is from 1972. It's directed by Francis Ford Coppola and is uh, roundly considered to be one of the best movies. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it is, you know... (laughs) <laughs> the joke I was going to make, uh, I'll make it, is The Godfather is the godfather of films. Because it's like that, it's like kind of that Cadillac, you know, category, where it's like, this is it's the godfather of uh, slapstick comedies. Right, but can can you self-referentiate that way? <laughs> no, but it's... I don't, I don't know if you can do that. I was being silly. Um, uh, God, you with your silliness and stuff too much. Let's say The Godfather is the Cadillac of movies, just as The Cadillac is the Godfather of cars. I'm going to have to think about this a little bit more before I can comment on it. <laughs> no! No! <laughs> um, okay, I'll start with the, the plot synopsis. Uh, let me see, this is a spoiler-full podcast, so we're about to just tell you every single thing that happens in The Godfather. And to be honest, if you haven't seen it, it's been out since 1972. You probably deserve to have it spoiled for you, because you're not going to watch it. Oh, man. Tell him what happens to that horse, that poor horse. He's fine. He's fine. It was a, it was a prosthetic. <laughs> now, the opening scene is Don Corleone's daughter's wedding day, and a man is asking him for a favor. And The Godfather decides on justice for a sexual assault on this man's daughter. And he says, uh, rough him up or whatever, but he's not going to kill him because his daughter's still alive. Yeah, yeah, this guy's got a code. Yes, so obviously this Don Corleone fellow, um, well... Who's he played by? Marlon Brando. Ooh, good actor. Yeah, I've heard of him. I've Um, heard of him too. But, uh, so this person is kind of for a large group of people, the person who takes care of stuff, you know, the judge, jury, executioner, police force, blah, blah, blah. Obviously a very powerful individual, right? Oh, uh, yeah. He's a guy with connections. He can maybe help you, but you might have to help him back. Yeah, and he's obviously very uh, scary because Luca Brasi is outside rehearsing his speech just to say, hey, thanks for inviting me. And he wants to show respect <laughs> and say, hey, thanks for inviting me because... I didn't think you yeah, were going to invite me. Luca Bross is like an Andre the Giant-sized fellow, but he is he is very nervous rehearsing his simple speech. Yeah, he's just like, uh, i gotta, I got to pay my respects and i got to do it well. He's scared. He's terrified. <laughs> so, you know. At any rate, uh, Johnny comes from California. He's a Frank Sinatra-looking guy, and all the ladies are fawning all over him, and he's there to sing at Don Johnny Corleone's. Fontaine, so dreamy. Yes. And Michael's telling Kay, uh, Katie about his family. He tells her that uh, the reason Johnny came out for the wedding is because, um, you know, he's a good godson. And 
And I'm sure there's so many characters. I'm sure he's not that important. But but tell us, uh, Michael, uh, who's he played by, and what what's his deal? Oh, Michael's played by Al Pacino. Oh, that's a, another great actor, and he's like a war hero. He's like the one guy who's not. He doesn't really do anything with. Katie's played by Diane Keaton, I think, right? Ah, uh, yeah, you're correct. Yeah, his girlfriend. And um, they're such babies. They're such babies. And he's kind of letting her know, like, oh, that guy's a Luca Brasi, and he, he roughed a guy up for my father once. Well, yes. Uh, he's telling him, hey, look, I'm not like this, but my family's like this, and, well, Johnny uh, had, uh, uh, well, my father had Luca Brasi come out to Johnny's movie producer and get him the part by making the guy an offer he couldn't refuse. Or no, <laughs> as a band leader or whatever, right? Uh, yeah, great line. He says... Either your signature or your brains will be on the contract. Ah, yes. Um, and in famous last words, because he sees Kate is, uh, or Kay is, uh, you know, probably a little panicked by all this talk of violence. He says, it's not me, it's my family. The two are separate. I'm not part of that lifestyle. Exactly. Um, let me see. So there's this wedding, and... Uh, the Don has a, a few more consults. He talks with the guy who's baking him the cake. Well, Johnny goes and talks to him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Johnny talks to him. Yeah, and then he cries because his, his career's not going so good because they won't give him this part. And the Don smacks him around for crying. Why don't you act like a man? And uh, then he says he's going to make the studio head an offer he can't refuse. But first, he tries to finesse it. He sends Tom Hagen... Tom Hagen, played by Robert Duvall, is an adopted son of the family. Uh, thus, he doesn't have the Corleone last name. And he is the family attorney that only handles cases for the family. Right. He's a specialty practice. Yes, California Tom Hagen goes to brace the studio head. The studio head turns him down. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because he's very mad that Johnny Fontaine apparently spoiled one of his protégés, an actress who fell in love with him and ran off with him. And he made him look ridiculous. And a man like me can't afford to look ridiculous. Not at all. <laughs> Definitely can't. I actually really like that actor. He's in some of the John Cassavetes films. Anyway. Um, it, and so... Is he the guy who's in Snatch? No, that's... Uh, what's that? Uh, Dennis Farina. Now, he's like a generation probably... He's a little older than Farina. Right. Um... Here, I'll let you pick it up for a second. Yeah, so so Tom, after that fiery speech where the producer's like, fuck you, I'm not going to do anything to help this kid who I have probably a, an Italia-phobic vengeance for. Like, it's definitely got a little flavor of uh, anti-Italian bias and bigotry to it. And so Tom says, all right, I got to go because my boss insists on hearing bad news immediately. And that takes us to the very famous oft-spoofed horsehead scene. The Hollywood producer wakes up with his, like... I forgot how much he said it was. It was like a $40,000 horse or something. It, it was a prized horse. He wasn't going to race him. Yeah. He liked him too much. He was going to put him out to stud. Poor horse. He's like, man, I'm going to get so much action. And then instead this happens. Don't be owned by asshole Hollywood producers is the lesson, if you're a horse. Yeah, but, it, I mean, it's interesting because it's like, okay, but now you've already done that to the horse now, so um, what's, the, uh, what's, what's, the, 
what what can you do to him now? Well, I, I, I guess the threat is we'll we'll do something similar to you. If, yeah. If I'm willing to cut off a horse's head and leave it in your bed. By the way, I left it in your bed next to you while you were sleeping, so obviously Uh-oh. I can get to you. <laughs> yeah, um, my spouse was very shocked by how visceral it was. She thought it was going to be more tastefully done, but nope, those sheets are slick and wet with horse blood. Well, yeah, and it, it did the typical um, the typical Francis Ford Coppola thing. His blood is always very, very red. Uh, um, yeah, he he likes he likes reds a lot. He well, does. I mean, he did it with the oranges in the yeah. scene uh, leading up to there too, and we don't have to get into this yet. But he does a thing with a lot of his films where he keeps everything very muted, and then he'll highlight certain very colorful things. That's very interesting. You know, so so yeah, this is like kind of what we've seen so far is to let us know kind of how powerful this family is, which is interesting because what happens next is to kind of take us into the potential fall of the family, where actually they have been strong, they were strong, but they're starting to maybe lose a bit of their edge. Because uh, the eldest son, who I haven't mentioned yet, Sonny, played by James Caan, a hot-tempered young man, uh, he comes to them, he and Tom come to Don Corleone, and they're like, look, we've got this great deal with this guy named Salazzo. He's a Turkish guy, and he makes the poppy. He's... He's able to make the poppy and then to turn it into opiate products like heroin. And it's like, this is all the rage. This is going to be the newest thing. So the Don takes the meeting, but at the end he's like, no, I don't want to do that because that has a taint to it. This has a stigma attached to the drug business. I don't want to dirty up our name with that. Yeah, well, he's got friends who are politicians and stuff. And they're kind of okay with... with, uh, Boozing and gambling and women and stuff like that, those are vices, but drugs is a totally different thing. Yeah, and so it seems like maybe, oh, it's a benign refusal of the offer. He's very respectful to Salazzo and to the Tatalias, which is the you know mob family that he wants to work with on this. Yeah, and he, he kind of uh, uh, admonishes uh, Santino, Sonny, for uh, speaking out of turn. I had never share your thoughts. Oh, wait, no. Yeah, yeah don't, that's, don't ever tell anybody what you're thinking. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, which is echoed later by a line by Michael that's like, never share your thoughts with anyone who's not in the family again. Right. So so this seems like maybe it'll be benign, but it's not. What happens in another very famous scene is the Don's going out shopping, uh, you know, at a little farmer's market, and he's getting a little bag of oranges, which are all over this film, and... We can discuss what they symbolize, but they seem to often be close to death. I just wrote Don Corleone is buying fruit with Fredo, and then they shot him. Yeah, but but the very famous scene is then the oranges go spilling. Yes. And there are oranges all over this movie. Yeah, I do have a box that says, oranges might be symbolic. Don't eat the oranges, they're (laughs) symbolic. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah... I, I, let me just say, I love the way this movie's plotted. Because what we've gotten so far now is, okay, we thought this family was very strong, but obviously a very, maybe stronger, sinister force is now getting them. Because their top member uh, is now lying in a hospital close to death. And there's all this talk with Tom, who's the consigliere, um, which is like the mafia yeah, because at the same advisor. time, Tom gets picked up and shoved into a car, and nobody knows where he's at. Yeah, so they're they're doing the full muscle. They're like, all right, this is it. Corleones are done. 
Um, Luca Braga gets gets uh, strangled. Uh, yeah, Luke, yeah. They try to pull a fast one by uh, before the Don gets shot. He's like, Luca, go like insinuate that you're not cool with us. You can be like our little spy, uh, and they catch wise on that instantly and strangle him. Yeah. So they kill him right away. Um, they give him the hat with the fish. Or wait, is it the hat with the fish? Or is it just a newspaper with the fish? They, they just send him some fish. I've seen so it, it parodied so many times that sometimes it's hard to separate. I, I think they just send him like his suit jacket or something oh, no, like yeah. that. Because yeah, yeah, it has to be because it's an article of his clothing letting them know Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishies. Yes. And so it's looking all bad. And to make matters even worse, uh, they're going to send people to the hospital to kill the Don. Because Michael, who's at this point not even involved at all, Michael's been off screen for like 30 minutes ever since the wedding ended. Yeah, he's like in Jersey, just hanging out with Katie, yeah, he's having just, a good old time. He's a war hero, his family's rich, he's good. And then he reads about Don Corleone getting shot in the paper. And so he's like, I'm going to go visit Pop in the hospital. And he gets there. It's empty. No police protecting the Don. <laughs> Suspicious. Um, and the nurse is being a little uncooperative. And Michael's like, yo, no, we're moving my family to another, or my father to another room where they can't find him because people are going to come kill him. That's what this means. That's why the police are gone. Yeah, I mean, obviously they've set up, they're like the guards who are out front of the building and out front of the room are, are gone. And, uh, yeah, because the police just went there and arrested everybody because they all had priors, so they're all yeah dirty workers for the family. And in one of my favorite scenes, only one other person shows up. I forget if it's the guy whose uh, daughter got assaulted or if it's it was one of the other guys, like the baker. But one guy shows up to, you know, do his favor, his bit of service for the dawn. And it's like, great, your lucky day. Uh, people are going to come try to kill us. And it's just us two. Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, uh, Enzo, the baker. Yeah, okay, it was the baker. Yeah. And so, Michael... He was just going to visit to check on... I don't think he was... Oh, was he? Oh, I, okay. I think he was just like, the Don's in the hospital, and I'm going to go pay my respects and bring him some oh, cakes okay. and, and be like, hey, get better, bro, you know? <laughs> okay, yeah, that makes sense. You're right. And so, Michael's like, well, this isn't much, but we're going to have to do a little bit of play acting. We're going to go outside... Stand with our hands in our coat pockets so it looks like we have guns, even though we don't. Um, and then when the car rolls up, they're able to kind of bluff them to leave. A car full of guys shows yeah, they up. Went, oh, the guards are still there. The cops were supposed to take care of them. Yeah, or like they might have known it was just like hoods, but they were like, oh, we didn't expect like armed people. We were just supposed to walk in with no one there to worry yeah, nobody about. Nobody was supposed to be there, and the people were still, okay, maybe the. Maybe the cops failed then is the way they look at it, so they keep driving. And so their bluff works, but uh, Enzo is uh, understandably panicked. His hand is trembling, and... He can't roll a cigarette or light he it. He can't, he can't roll light a light cigarette. His, and Michael's like, here, pal, let me help you there, let me light it. Michael's ice cold. Michael looks at his hand, it's not moving. Oh, shit. Well, he's a war hero. He is a war hero. He's been through the shit. He has been through the shit. It makes sense why he has these nerves. But I also, I think that scene has a great symbolic meaning. Uh, so what happens next? Oh, then um, we, you know, the other shoe drops with regards to the police not being there. The this, police show up. The police show up. <laughs> Michael gets clocked by a, a terrible, corrupt police captain. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the, the 
the, uh, Sterling the war room war room guy from he's three years earlier Doctor Strangelove. He's the guy in Doctor Strangelove who's going on about the precious bodily fluids. General Turgenson, yeah. Oh no, no, not Turgenson. That's uh, George C. Scott. Oh um, right. He's he's uh, what not Mandrake, but the one talking to Mandrake. Yes. So anyway, uh, so Michael reconvenes with his bros. And it's like, okay, shit is getting heavy now. I believe his name is off, uh, Chief Salazzo, of, or Officer Salazzo, right? Um, Salazzo's the Turk. What is the name of the officer? I forget. Oh, I thought it was Salazzo. No, Salazzo's the McCluskey. guy. McCluskey. 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 Okay, there we go. Um, yeah, Salazzo's the opium dealer. Right. Okay. He's, yeah, he's the and guy. so yeah. then we, we get scenes where it's like, okay, Sonny's still kind of the head of this thing. And so he's like, all right, we have to be, like, tough. We got to, like, go fuck him up, and that's it. And Tom's like, whoa, 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 maybe we should be easy about that. But regardless, they are they're going to the mattresses, as they say. Yes, which I believe is, like, you know, what you do when you pull all your money out of the bank and stick it in your mattress because you've got to have everything in the house because you can't trust the outside. No. Yeah. yeah, they're circling the wagons, and they're ready for a long, drawn-out war. Although uh, when you circle the wagons, that means you're going out. No, no, that's when... <laughs> <laughs> Metaphors. Um, and so, and you get the scene, you know, the leave the gun, take the cannoli scene where they take out a guy who was, you know, underhandedly trying to double-cross them. Mm, well, they suspect that uh, they think this guy double-crossed him because he called him sick the day that... The Don got shot. Yeah, and he's shaking like a leaf the entire time. Well, he's sweating because he's got a fever, and he's shaking because he's sick. And so they look at it and go like, oh, the guy who called him sick and is now kind of nervous and, and not feeling good and blah, 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 that, that, he must be the traitor. Right. So take care of him. And they do on the turnpike. Indeed. <laughs> An another scene with like a very bright color thing. The, the bright blue sky and the... Sorry, um, everything's kind of grayish and the Statue of Liberty is in the distance very yeah, green. Yeah, and, uh, and lots blue. of wide shots in this movie. Uh, they love a wide shot. Either because they want to get a bunch of people like at the wedding or because, you know, you're just seeing this tiny car but you don't get to see what goes on inside of it. You just hear the gunshot. Yeah, I don't even know the guy that was in there. It's like, oh, who's that guy? I think it was the guy Just who, an assassin for the family. I think it was the one... Oh, oh no, you're right, because we don't even know who the guy was because he was hiding behind the seat. But the guy riding with him uh, is the one who, uh, when the bad shit first goes down, is teaching Michael how to cook. He's like, oh, Michael, come here. You, you might need to cook for a bunch of guys someday. <laughs> Which uh, I'll, have, I'll have thoughts on that. Um, I have thoughts about the kind of domestic realm um, versus the, the business realm. Ah, uh, yes. And so what eventually happens is Michael's starting to realize, like, all right, the only way to get through this is for me to do it, me to have the meeting with Salazzo and the police captain, because I'm seen as an innocent. Yeah. I'm not part of the mob. I'm this neutral arbiter. But really, I'll go and I'll kill them. Yeah, Santino's too hot, uh, hot-tempered, and yeah. and stuff, and uh, yeah, I mean, obviously. They'd expect like, violence They'd be like, he's him. just going to kill us, 
<laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not gonna kill you. Yeah. So what uh, what happens is they decide to, uh, they'll find out from their informant where you know everybody's gonna be. Uh, gonna yeah, be the restaurant where they're gonna. Yeah, they're meet. gonna meet in a public place so that it can be safe for everybody, and uh, they're gonna hide a gun ahead of time behind the toilet tank. Yeah, in the old-fashioned toilet flush box or whatever. Yes, and the the gun's gonna have tape on the trigger and the handle so that you can't you can't tell. Who had it with yeah. fingerprints? Good, good idea. These are good ideas. Yeah, you know the mob knows what they're doing. They've been doing this for a while, and and so Michael has the meeting, and Salazzo and the captain are kind of trying to like ease his pride or like assuage his fear. Like, look, we've been rough on you. I'm sorry I punched you. Yada yada, but like, kind of like, you know, you're thinking, oh, will this guy who is not by his nature a hood, um, be kind of moved? not to kill these people because now they're kind of treating him a little more decently. You know, they're being civil with him. Uh, <laughs> and the answer to that question is no. Uh, Michael, when he gets a chance, goes into the toilet and there's a suspenseful bit of like, he's reaching behind the box and maybe it's yeah. not is there. Is it there? Is it there? Where is it? Is, is he going to be able to pull this off? And then he does. I, I felt it would have been better if, if they don't actually see him getting anything from behind the thing. They just see him reaching around and searching for a little bit, and then you cut then, and then just have him walk back out. I agree. I think that would be very cool. That um, would be cool. But I, I, I think that's that's yeah, that's more of an 80s thing. That's less of what Coppola would want to be doing here. Maybe it's more Scorsese than Coppola. Yeah, that, yeah. That kind of suspense. Because, um, yeah, this is in some ways a very formal, rigorously formal movie. Uh, and so, yeah, he... He does it. He kills them. Shoots them both in the head twice. Well, he's supposed to, but he shoots... I know, did he... He shoots, like, the police chief in the neck and then in the head, and then the other guy just shoots in the head. Yeah, and, like, he's supposed to drop the gun instantly, and I like his body acting where, like, he kind of walks with it for a while, and he doesn't exactly let it drop. He more just kind of, like, fidgets it out of his hand. Yeah. Um, crime ain't pretty. Well, I mean, it, it's kind of just a... a a thing that um, Pacino pulls off there, which uh, we'll talk about it more later, but I guess there's just the one thing to say, which is he's simultaneously showing the audience and everybody that he's worried about this thing he's got to do, mm -hmm. but also he's got to show them that everything's fine and everything's on the up and up. Right. And and he's got to act that. He's got to act both parts. Uh, he does. It's like almost quite, wordlessly. Quite, you know? a, quite suspenseful. And so the fallout of this is uh, Michael's got to go get out of the country. He's got to go back to the old country to hide out for a while, for years, more than a year, right? Yeah, like a year. Um, and while he's there, he meets a, a pretty lady, a pretty Italian, who is from a good family from the area. And when he tells them that he's a Corleone... Uh, her, his father instantly consents to marriage. That's kind of what's going on. Well, before yeah. that, he he uh, he's just talking. He's trying to figure out who she is. Right. And yeah. then and then the guy who they're asking, who's a local, is kind of pissed off. And then Michael's like, "Oh, it's his, it's his daughter. <laughs> he knows I'm talking about he's his daughter." He's not even the one being the idiot in that situation. It's the other, the two Italian guys, like, "Oh, the baboon, the very malicious of uh, the curves and the oh." 
<laughs> well, yeah, essentially, though, what happens is he, he notices that, like, it's his father, and then he, you know, kind of does the respect thing. He says, I yeah. respect you, and, and blah, blah, blah. I didn't mean any disrespect, uh, but it must be your daughter. Can I come over for dinner, you know, in front of you, and this and that. And he says it in English, too. Um, and has them translate. Right, to kind of gain the credibility of, hey, man, I'm an American. I'm an open book. I'm not trying to hide what I am here. And, by the way, I'm a Corleone. Right. Well, he tells them that later, right? I think he tells them... He, he goes over for dinner. They walk and stuff like that. And then, then he mm. goes like, I'm going to ask, you know, I'm Michael Corleone. I want to <laughs> marry your daughter. And he goes, oh, it's a Corleone. Okay. Oh. Yeah, they make good olive oil. They make good olive oil. <laughs> and so... Let me see if I can cleanly describe what's going on back in the States. It's basically the war's ongoing, I guess. And we learn that Michael's sister is being abused by the husband she married at the beginning of the film. And Sonny's... Carlo, I believe his name is. Carlo. And Sonny, like, every time he gets news, is like, I'm going to fucking kill him. And one time, he gets news that he really beat the hell out of his sister... Uh, played by Adrian from Rocky. So he goes over there. He goes and, over there. And beats the guy up in the street. Oh, well, yeah, there is that And scene. then everybody sees him do that and knows that, like, he's, he's on about that. Yeah, sorry, I'm skipping ahead. Um, so, because eventually he goes and is ambushed at a toll booth. Well, yeah, so what they do is they get Carlo to... Uh, play a little uh, fiction that he's got like this mistress so that she'll get angry and start smashing stuff mm -hmm. and then he'll retaliate and then Sonny will go over there right at that moment and so they know to position people at the toll booth and, and yep. to follow him and this and that and you know he's probably not paying attention because he's pissed off and hot and he's going to go beat this motherfucker he's up. so hot headed. Yeah. So, so yeah perfect time to Trick him into exposing himself, and then he gets gunned down. He gets he gets Bonnie and Clyded real bad. And around this time, uh, Don Corleone is getting better. He's getting better. And he decides that he wants to squash this war thing. That that now he's lost a son. Right. Yeah. Enough is enough. Yeah. And is this around the time when Michael? Well, no, because first in it, back in Italy, Michael gets married. Uh, and then is given, I think, a car as a wedding gift? Well, I think at this point, like, after Santino's shot and he starts making all the, the deals and everything, then they go like, okay, but we need somebody to be the head of the family, so I guess it's Michael, so it's been long enough that we can send Michael over. Yes, but not before his new bride is blown up in a car bombing. Oh, wait, that's right. They're going to go to a villa because where you're at is... Too public. Oh, and right. So they're packing up to go to a, a villa, and then uh, he's been teaching her how to drive and all that. And then she's going to, like, show him, hey, I can drive this new car that you got get got given as a, as a thing above. And uh, then he sees the servant kind of running away, and he goes, like, hey, where are you going? And the guy just runs, and he goes, oh, no. He put a bomb in the car, and then he goes to go, no, Carmela, don't do it. Is it Car Carmela? Uh, Apollonia. Apollonia, that's right. Uh, Apollonia, don't do it. And then she starts the ignition and blows up the car. So she, yeah. she gone. Very sad. And that basically sends Michael back to the States to take over as the family 
uh, as the godfather. Uh, his consigliere, he does not use Tom, but his father, because who's going to know more about this whole business than the former godfather? Yeah, Tom's not a wartime uh, consigliere. He's not a... Tom, you're not a wartime consigliere. Uh, so, and then some years have passed. He gets back together with Kay. Uh, they have a son, right? Indeed. Uh, what am I missing? What happens after that? Uh, well, stuff. Sorry, I got a lot of <laughs> words on the page here. It's. I mean, we're trying to breeze through the plot. Oh, synopsis, I know, I know. Yeah. And then also, because of this, so so now he's running things, and he's like, "All right, we got this shit over here. Our next venture is Vegas. You know, getting into the casinos in Vegas. Fredo." Uh, who I call the uh, the Buster Bluth of the family. He's kind of a, a chucklehead because I think isn't he the oldest or second oldest? Like he would be running things if he really had any kind of a head for that. But they're mostly like, oh, okay, go go do some business deals in, in Vegas. And mostly it seems like he's just snorting cocaine out there <laughs> with uh, Mo Green, who I looked it up is supposed to be Bugsy Siegel. Well, wait, isn't that Carlo? Uh, Carlo's out there too. Carlo's out there with Mo Green, and and Fredo. And Fredo, that's right. Fredo's out there. Um, and you know he's he's kind of out there to party because Michael comes in and he's got a bunch of call girls and drugs lined up in the back. He's like, "Go oh, to the party," and Michael's like, "No, no, no, we're not doing that." No, no, I'm just gonna tell Mo Green that we're gonna buy him out for his share of the hotel, but we bankrolled him in the first place, so. Whatever buy him out means. <laughs> but it doesn't work. Mo Green is like, fuck you. I am Vegas, motherfucker. And so that's a problem. I, I hope Michael solves it somehow. Perhaps in a perfectly edited montage. <laughs> and what else? They're, they also learn of uh, a traitor in their midst. One of their guys, I forget his name, is um, working with one of the other families, the Tatalias. Barzini? No. I don't know where I'm at. Like, I, I've now gotten lost trying to recount. <laughs> we watched it last week, but it was it was a long. He movie. wasn't. It's not one of the super important guys, but it's like it's one of the guys who wanted to go out on his own. And Michael determines, like I forget how. It's like whoever arranges yeah. the meeting. Whoever arranges. Mo, the Mo's meeting. gonna make a deal with Barzini instead. Of let because the Corleones are basically trying to pull out of New York. Yeah. Because uh, I think Corleone uh, goes and has a meeting with the bosses and kind of says, "Okay, we'll do the drug thing and and all this and that." But really, what what he's saying is like, "They'll do the drug thing. We'll get the our family the hell out of out of the way of this." Yeah. Uh, and then something very seismic happens. Marlon Brando dies. The Godfather. Uh, he's playing with his grandchild in the orange orchard or whatever, and he's playing with him and chasing him around with a little squeeze bottle for watering the plants, and he keels over. And it's at the funeral, I believe, that Michael learns who's double-crossing him, because that guy, whose name we can't remember, is finally like, oh, you, sh you should meet with them. And he's like, Okay. And this basically takes us up to one of the movie's uh, more famous it's Tessio. Scenes. Tessio, thank you. It's Tessio. Tessio. Um, There's a lot of characters. Probably the most famous bit of like editing in the film, which is the baptism scene. Ah, uh, yes. 
And so he's going to be uh, the godfather, godfather to Carlo and his sister's son. Yep. And as the baptism ceremony is happening, we cross cut to a bunch of people being taken out, including Mo Green, yeah. uh, the members of the rival family that were going after them. It's a bloodbath and a cleaning house all in one. And at that point, they kind of win. They, they win against the thing that was threatening them throughout the course of this movie. And uh, our, oh, the last bit of business, though, the twist, you might say, is we learn that Carlo was also part of this, that he set up Sonny to be murdered. Right. Um, in addition to being a wife-beating piece of shit. Yes. And Michael's like, look, you're family, so I'm not going to do you dirty. I'm not going to kill you like these others, but you need to get in this car and get the fuck out of Dodge. Never come back. Well, he just says, go to, you know, go to, we'll give you a, a tiny little job out at the hotel in Vegas or whatever. Yeah. Just be gone. But, uh, it, but instead, they just get in the car and then they kill him. Yeah, it's, it's a setup. Uh, they strangle him. And because Michael's tying up all the loose ends. And our last scene is like, all right, he's, he's the big boss now. Well, his, his sister comes over. And starts freaking out, going like, "You killed Carlo!" And then uh, Kay is there, right? Kay is there, and, and she's like, "Is it true?" And he says, "Never ask me about my business ever." And then he says, "Okay, fine. I'll give you a freebie. One time, you can ask me." She's like, "Okay. Did you kill your brother-in-law?" And he's like, "No." No, I didn't. And then he goes into another room where he's talking to people, and she is outside of that room. Or no, it's, it's the same room, because it's like a weird bit of like, it's like a doorway. hammer working. Because she goes out in the hall to eat, and she's like, come with, like, let's eat. And then you see like the whole time there's been all these other guys in there, and the movie's closing shot is on Kay's face as the door closes and takes her out of the frame. And that's it. Door close into blackout. Does it close or do they? Do we just pan out? It, it closes. Okay. So we just panned out with like she's there and then there's this door frame separating them and. There is a panning, but then it's like a sort of close up of her face and it just like yeah black symbolic of you'll always be outside of this yeah, you're situation. Out. You're not part of this. Right. Even though you're my wife. Well, yeah. So that's the plot synopsis, and the next thing we do is, hey, how did you like it? Hey, 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 how do we like it? Hey, Brady, how did you like this movie? How did I like The Godfather? Yeah, how did you like The Godfather? Oh, it, oh yeah, it's a great movie. <laughs> it's The Godfather. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, this is a masterpiece movie. I haven't used that word in a while. I've been good. I've been ever so good about not oversaturating my masterpiece slate. But this, I mean... Yeah, this is one of the best movies ever made. Um, kind of, I, I hate to repeat myself, but when the shoe fits, uh, kind of similar to what I said about There Will Be Blood. It's a movie where every single element is top-notch, like perfect. Um, you could fill like an entire acting category at the Oscars just with performances from this film. Uh, the cinematography is iconic and gorgeous. Um, it's got one of the most famous and pretty scores ever written. And it's a, it's a powerful, rich story. It's what, like, 
stands out to me and stood out to me the first time I watched it that like, because you know, when you hear a movie is like the best ever made, you know, you some of your defenses are up to be like, all right, we'll prove it. Like, how how good? And I'm still taken aback anytime I watch this, how rich of a story it is in terms of its characterization and how it's about a vice. And I think the movie does see what the Corleones do as a vice, but it kind of dares you to remember that when you're in the the fray of it. No, let me stop you right there. None of that is true. <laughs> this movie is not good. I don't understand what the big kerfuffle... Okay, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> this isn't Kane's boring. <laughs> Jed, how did you get in here? <laughs> Just saying. No Dr. Zhivago? No Dr. Zhivago. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, because uh, that's what I love is this movie could be more overt in critiquing what the Corleones are about, but it kind of at least forces you to be sympathetic because when they're like really in the throes of, oh shit, they're going to be killed, like they're going to be taken down, you feel the sense of tension and danger and just having, you know, it's smart that they have this character of Michael who is kind of an untouched innocent who's not a part of this, and he's the one who becomes our surrogate into it. I love just the patience of it. I love that it's 35 minutes until the main character of this movie has more than like two minutes of screen time. Like it's such a, it's such a patient and rich and poignant reveal. Uh, it's the smartest thing the movie does is Michael's journey into this and just, you know, I already said how powerful that scene is where he's looking at his hand, which we said, you know, is probably because he's a war vet, like he's used to this, but is also to me symbolic of like, oh my God, wait, I'm supposed to be the guy, I'm the guy who should be scared. I'm not a mafia head, uh, but I, I have my shit more together than any of my brothers who actually are supposed to be doing this. And yeah, so... I don't know, it's just so rich. It's just such a rich story. It has my favorite fictional lawyer, I think, of any film. I love Ooh, Tom, Tom Hagen. Yeah, Tom Hagen. He's, he's a good lawyer. Uh, yeah, what can I say? It, it's an A-plus movie. Uh, it's, it's tragic and resonant and, uh, yeah, just a rich banquet of characters. I'll say more later. It's, what can I say? I, th I think it's a perfect movie. I agree. I think this is a great movie. Um, there's always things with me in movies from the 70s. Um, and luckily I was able to forget it this time around. Mm -hmm. But um, I think because we were watching a, a remastered transfer or whatnot. But, but they're always very faded to me. And it's just because we weren't great at keeping <laughs> our film stock so that they you know, stayed fresh and yeah. bright. Um, but I think in general Coppola just shoots like that and so he uses it to great effect, right? He's got right. like the thing we were talking about earlier when the oranges are on the table. The oranges are very orange. Everything else is just kind of uh, sepia. And, you yeah, know, sepia for sure. Like he does that kind of thing very well. So that's the first thing I think of when I think of The Godfather. I go like, oh, does it have that dull feeling that I get from, from the, the muted tones of a 70s movie? And it's like, yes, it does, but obviously, there's some pop. Uh, yeah, um, it's it's shot through a nostalgic haze, I would say. Yes, now that's probably maybe what I'm trying to get at. Said uh, 
More, oh yeah, we didn't say nicely. this movie starts in the forties. <laughs> yes, World War Two is still going on. Michael is a World War Two hero. Yes, this is true. Fighting and the uh, Nazis. Ah uh, yeah, damn Nazis. Nazis. Um, let me see. Um, this time watching it through, I was a lot more focused on like kind of the idea of roles not necessarily in a family but societally because it's very much about like you know what it means to be a man uh yeah (laughs) and um you know the women's role is kind of understated (laughs) uh quite a bit and such um but you know that being the case and that being uh the way it's done it was it's done in a way that it's aware of itself doing that it's not like it's not just like yeah obviously women are for making babies and men are are all these things you can be this to be a man that to be a man it's like it's like no it's it's being very poignant about these things that exist yeah it's Um, it's a critique i would say so yeah it's i mean it's a really good movie (laughs) it's just it doesn't necessarily make you feel good when you're watching it oh no and then when you're trying to go back through it a week later every scene and remember them all then then you kind of start swimming a little bit in the uh the the dire the direness of it all uh, but yeah. yeah no it's a it's an a all right it's Rob. just a, got a 95 percent a all right <laughs> there you go we got we got an a out of you the first since when what was your last day i don't know it's i don't so know brady just don't know. Okay. Well, do you want to go do understudy? Yes, I do. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay, but we've got two understudies, and to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway. So try to guess the actors, try to guess the movies, tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y couch. This game called Understudy is happening, happening, happening right now. This is good. Uh, Loretta. Where did Johnny find you? He knew my husband who died. How did he die? Bus hit him. Fast. Instantaneous. When you get engaged? Yesterday. Why? Why what? I don't know. So, five years ago, your hand got cut off and your woman left you for another man. No woman since then? No. Stupid. When your husband got hit by the bus? Seven years ago. How many men since then? Just Johnny. Stupid yourself. No, unlucky. I I have not been lucky. I don't care about luck. You understand me? It ain't that. What? Do you think you're the only one who ever shed a tear? Why are you talking to me? You got any whiskey? How about giving me a glass of whiskey? She was right to leave me. You think so? Yes. You really are stupid, you know that? You don't know nothing about it. I was raised that a girl gets married young. I didn't get married until I was 28. I met a man. I loved him. I married him. He wanted to have a baby right away. I said no. Then he got hit by a bus. No man. No baby, no nothing. I did not know that man was a gift I could not keep. 
I didn't know. You tell me a story and you think you know what it means, but I see what the true story is, and you can't. She didn't leave you. You can't see what you are. I can see everything. You're a wolf. I'm a wolf? The big part of you has no words and it's a wolf. This woman was a trap for you. She caught you and you couldn't get away. So you chewed off your foot. That was the price you had to pay to be free. Johnny had nothing to do with it. You did what you had to do between you and you. And I know I'm right. I don't care what you say. And now you're afraid because you found out the big part of you is a wolf that has the courage to bite off his own hand to save itself from the trap of the wrong love. That's why there's been no woman since that wrong woman. You're scared to death what the wolf will do if you make that mistake again. Oh, what are you doing? I'm telling you your life. Stop it. No. Why are you marrying Johnny? He's a fool. Because I have no luck. He made me look in the wrong way and I cut off my hand. He could make you look the wrong way and cut off your whole head. I am looking where I should to become a bride. A bride? Without a head? A wolf without a foot. That was undecided. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y Couch. That was understudy, and uh, I will give you a hint. I started off doing one character, but it sounded more like my impersonation <laughs> of another character, so I just changed it midway through. <laughs> okay, Brady. Uh-huh. What's it all? Oh, you know, it's about a whole lot of stuff. Because, um, uh, as you said, like, it's got a lot to say about kind of traditional sexist roles. And I think a lot about how when Michael's just coming into it, but they're not thinking he's going to be a guy, the guy is like, here, let me teach you how to cook. Because it's like, as you go lower down on the pole, that's the kind of thing you'll do is domestic stuff. Or like when uh, Brando's character first... Uh, gets shot and Sonny in the phone to him is like well, go see about mom like if you're not in the top your role is more this motherly womanly thing see to the family make sure everyone's emotionally okay that said I don't want to say that's what it's about because to me what it's about is in the first line of the film as we open on that first guy asking for a oh, sorry did I cut off yeah uh, you did a little bit but you're back okay the first guy asking for a favor on the wedding day and his first line is I believe in America before he goes into his spiel about what happened to his daughter and to me what this movie is probably most about is like belief versus hypocrisy in these big systems be it a country the family unit as this like kind of sacred thing or um, as we see in the very end something like the church and religion and so it's both like about the belief in these big systems that are supposed to protect us and foster us, but also like how rot can seep into that. And that's why at the very last scene we have the juxtaposition of the baptism with the murder, because it's like, are these systems really what they purport to be? Or are they convenient hypocrisies uh, that help us get what we want? And at the same time, looking at like, oh, well, the Corleones, their mafia, like, they're seen as dirty, uh, but what we come to see of, of government in general, it really isn't any better, what we see of the police force. And so it's about 
the erosion of ideals uh, and how that pertains to America, because I think that's something Coppola, I think, is very interested in. Certainly in the early parts of his career are like kind of the mutation of the American spirit, whether it's surveillance and the conversation, uh, these big institutions that have corruption in them in The Godfathers, or the Vietnam War in Apocalypse Now. So it's, it's about investigating these sacred uh, <laughs> pillars of American life, I would say. Okay, I mean, I was, I was just feeling like it was a little less the pillars and more like, you know, just masculinity. Oh, that's for sure got masculinity. Like, like I think that's the, the the whole thing, the main thing, the the dibbity do and stuff like that. I don't know if I can hear me. Um, and so the thing I was wondering, and now I can't hear me. That's good. Um, <laughs> that, that's great. Um, I think it's well. I mean, let me see. Don Corleone is the patriarch of the family, right? And mm -hmm. he's the person kind of handing it off eventually to Michael, but he's going to hand it off to somebody because, you know, he's slipping. Nobody would have been able to shoot him 10 years ago. I think oh, Barzini right. says that at one right. point. And the one um, thing we didn't say, though, is he, he never thought he would have to pass it to Michael and really didn't want to. Yeah, he didn't. I didn't want this for you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, uh, so... He's the patriarch, and there is a matriarch, and she is still alive. And you, I, in passing, you see her on screen. Uh, yeah, right. she's singing at the wedding. So opening with that, it's like that very much says things about the roles. Is like, uh, you know, the boys in the family are the are do the roles, and women and so are sidelined. Yeah, women are are sidelined. And um, then there's like, well, what are the different roles in the thing? You know, Luco Brazzi is surprised he was even invited to the to the uh, to the wedding because he's one of the unclean ones that does all the dirty work. Right. Then there's you know Sonny who's a dirty hand, but then there's Michael and Tom who are clean hands. Like Tom can't be involved in any of the crime. They need an upfront legitimate lawyer. So like the men all become the tools. Right. right. See, that's what I'm saying is like... And then the idea is uh, kind of, well, this is, you're being honed into this tool. Like, Michael, you'll be the clean hands and, and Tom, you'll be the clean hands and stuff. But here are your roles inside of that tools to be a man, to be the proper tool, the right tool, mm -hmm. and be wielded in the right way. You must do these things. Right. No, no, I, I, I'm totally with you there. Uh, but that's... That also speaks, though, like, I think there's this kind of investigation of uh, the disparity, or in this movie's view, I would say, the kind of commingling and muddying of legitimate enterprises and enterprises that have the taint of being criminal, unclean. And that I think that's a beautiful point. Like, Brassi being at the wedding is like, wait, I'm like a guy who murders people, and I'm at this sacred familial rite. And to me, that's foreshadowing because the movie as a whole, I think, is about the, the muddying of that. Well, essentially the, um, yeah, there I go saying essentially again. <laughs> you said masterpiece, I'll say essentially. Um, <laughs> so basically, that's no, no better. In essence. There you go. <laughs> the, um, 
the idea of, you know, you must be this and legitimate and not legitimate, I think um, kind of when you see the whole uh, him telling Kay about, uh, you know, this is my family, it's not me, like that sets up the illegitimate versus not legitimate argument being described to the outsider. Mm -hmm. But from their point of view, there is no difference. And actually what makes people illegitimate or crappy or crooked is not fulfilling the masculine role properly. Like Johnny okay. crying and getting smacked around. Or like even when uh, they killed Santino and Don Corleone, who's the patriarch, kind of the leader of the family, he almost cries. But nope, he can't. That would not be him being the right tool in the right way. And, you know, if somebody's too hot-headed and... and uh, screwing up, uh, you know, like Fredo or, or this and that. Um, essentially, that's what makes Fredo illegitimate, is like he's out there partying, he, you know, and then he betrays the family uh, with... Uh, I always kind of think about, like, how did Fredo betray the family? Broke his heart, but... but uh, oh, uh, he hasn't broken his heart in this movie. <laughs> that's, oh, that's in two. That's a different movie. Okay, cool. Right, so Fredo's just a fuck-up. Um, fuck <laughs> okay, yeah, so he's kind of crooked and, and not good at it. And uh, Mo Green, same thing. It's like, uh, you know, no, because you are not, like, giving the proper respect. That, that's what makes you dirty or illegitimate, you know. Um, well, Mo's not even one of them. He's like... Yeah, I know, but, or, but in these larger structures where some are legitimate and some are not, mm -hmm. that's not their, their gauge. Their gauge is more along the lines of, hey, did you do it the right way? Um, you know, meaning the cops aren't illegitimate or legitimate, but a cop who goes and, you know, sets them up and does all this stuff cowardly-like and makes the deal with these people when they're obviously being paid to look the other way for all the stuff that the crime family is doing. Yeah. You know, that's why McCloskey gets sh killed by Michael and why it's okay to do so. Because McCloskey's crooked because he betrayed them because, you know, no, no, we had a deal. You were in our back pocket. We pay you and you don't fuck with us. And uh, you two-faced lying son of a bitch, you didn't do that. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, it's 100% what they have to do. But I'd say there is a difference to the Corleones between... Uh, legitimacy and illegitimacy in one respect and, and it's very key to the movie this one respect that one respect I think is Michael uh, because McCluskey definitely needs to be killed um, and I don't think uh, Vito Corleone the Brando character has any apologies in fact I'm citing from his speech he's basically like I don't have any I know what I was doing like that's fine but it's this dream though of wanting he wanted one clean thing and, you know, and, and maybe that's also echoed in the fact that he doesn't want to get into the drugs. He's like, all right, I know I'm a criminal, but I'm trying to maintain, like, some semblance of honor. And that, to me, is my son, probably my most beloved son, Michael, getting to not be besmirched by this in any way. And even though McCluskey needs to be killed, it's also a tragic fall for Michael. It's, it's blood being spilled from the one person who, who was never meant to be spilling blood. Yeah, well, let's put it this way. Uh, Tom's also a clean hand. Uh, but uh, Tom's not part of the family. <laughs> and so the Michael being a one of the clean, uh, I want to say ducklings. 
Let's just yeah, call all the sons duckling. ducklings or whatever. Um, a Pacino duckling. Is, it, that's more, that's less about looking for something that's clean and legitimate, but knowing that having one of them be clean and legitimate is the best way to uh, guarantee the family lineage goes on. That Michael has a son and that the family continues. Yeah, no, I think there are practical reasons for it, but also I think it pays emotional stakes too. Because uh, that's the thing, Tom, at the very least, is in on these meetings. Until Vito's shot, um, Michael's out. And it, it's like he only comes in because there's no one left. Right. Uh, we need him. But, yeah. but I think it's more of an idea of, um, it's less about legitimacy in the eyes of the lot or the cleanness or, or the being proud of this and more uh, continuing the family line from, from one of the male sons. Right, because, right. Uh, you know, uh, just the daughter being married, that's important too, but not really nearly as important as it is that Michael go find a nice girl, mm -hmm. get married, and continue the family line. Even, even now that he's dirty and that he's running the crime side of the family. Right. Um, well, does Sonny have kids? Uh, no, I don't believe so. I don't know. There's so many characters in this. That but... <laughs> At any rate, what I'm saying is now that he's dirty and stuff, mm, the fact that he's involved in that part of the, the family isn't, doesn't really make it clean or unclean. It's just now more dangerous and all, all his sons are now targets. Right. Whereas if he got married with Kay and, and whatever, which is war hero person who was related to the family, yeah, they wouldn't it, touch him. it's a lot more likely that those kids are going to survive and not get wrapped up in all the, right. the bloodshed and this and that. So... You know, I, I didn't think of it as wanting something clean so much as guaranteeing this family unit, you know. Right. Everything to protect the family. Right. Yes. Interesting. So, yeah. Masculinity. Doing right. masculinity right. Um, that's what I think it's all about. Um, I guess it's uh, interesting to your point that uh, shot when they kill um, the guy who's working for him and they kill him out in the cornfield mm -hmm. and they got the Statue of Liberty in the background. Yeah. You know, that, that says some things about legitimacy versus not and just symbolically shot. But then also immigrant family and Statue of Liberty, Ellis Island, you know, all that stuff too. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's the American dream and all that entails. Upward mobility and all that. Let's see. Have I said everything I need to say? I, I, I think I did. Uh, I, I mentioned Pacino in the restaurant and that excellent acting job he did. And the, the, uh, the, the wanting to cry so bad but not when uh, he's told about, about Sonny. And... Uh, and, and other things as well. <laughs> I think we did more plot synopsis than we did What's It All About. But here's the thing that we could do, say, but ba da ba da We could go play, uh, um, yeah, you're blocking your mic there. We could go play, uh, uh, sorry, Brady, you're just going to have to lean forward. Uh, <laughs> I do that often anyway. Let's go play, uh, uh, what, the, what the fuck is the game called? <laughs> Metacritical. <laughs> <laughs> that one. Let's play Metacritical. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs>
Metacritical, Metacritical, Metacritical. <laughs> this is the game where we try to guess the scores of uh, Metacritic scores of movies. Yeah, the the Rotten Tomatoes adjacent. And then the, then Brady stuff. wins, and I get mad. Um, and then together gets pretty mean. Well. I guess you do tell me to fuck myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me see. I need to open a browser window. Have you got a movie that we could start it with? Yeah, and I don't think I know the score to this one. Um, <laughs> you know the scores to all of them. You've memorized all of Metacritic. That's what you do <laughs> while I'm at work. I certainly don't know it exactly. Uh, uh, let's start with Robert Duvall. Um, with the Will Ferrell comedy where he's a soccer little league coach called Kicking and Screaming. Oh, this is interesting. The uh, the podcast that I stole this from, mm -hmm. the Adam Carolla show, yeah. where they play the Rotten Tomatoes game. Yeah, they did kicking and screaming this week. Oh, whoa! On their what a game. coincidence. Yes, but that was for the Rotten Tomatoes score, so I didn't hear the Metacritic score. So you can be safe, Brady. Good. Safe, like you often are. Good. Good. Safe. Kicking and screaming is kind of a guilty pleasure for me because I think. Uh, former football coach Mike Ditka is very funny in it. I'm going to say kicking and screaming is rotten at 64. <laughs> 64 is not rotten. 64 is in the green, baby. Yeah, but that's Metacritic. Uh, yeah. Okay, I think that's not a bad guess. Maybe I'll just go a hair lower and do like a 59. You're not writing down the scores, so I guess I have to. I do. When I said 64, you said 59? 59. Okay, and then we type. Do I have to do everything, Brady? Maybe. 70. Wait, wait, no, no, no. no. Five. Don't go up that one. That's probably the Noah Baumbach. Oh, 45. That's more like it. <laughs> I didn't know it was that low rated. I mean, it's it's not a great movie, but I feel that's slightly harsh. You you got Mike Ditka. He's Mike Ditka. Mike Ditka. Mike Ditka. Very good. Your elocution is pinpoint. Coming along. Take elocution lessons. All right. Well, I'm I'm gonna say an Adam Sandler movie then. Oh, because that that somehow relates to something. Fifty first dates. Fifty first dates. That's gonna be like a forty-seven. Brady says forty-seven. I say forty. I lose on that. Sure, but I lost five points. Fifty-three. Fifty-three first dates. No, it's fifty first dates. But I'm saying fifty-three. Fifty first dates. 
No, it's 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 forty-eight. Oh, that was close. Now I'm off five more. Now Brady's up ten. All right, Brady, what movie are we doing now? Uh, let's see. Uh, I would I would have loved to do this one, but I actually literally know the score to it. All right, of course you do. I was gonna do Whip It by Drew Barrymore, which is a terrific movie. Whip It, real good. Yeah, it's a roller derby movie. Um, but I'll stick with Barrymore. Let's see what else I can do Barrymore-wise. All right, let's 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 see if we can get them to do an older movie. I'm going to go with Firestarter. Firestarter. Twisted Firestarter. Yeah. Can I get your taxi number? She's a little girl. She can do, like, flames with her mind. All right. 50. Probably about right. I'll go 45. No, I, you're, you're pretty in the zone this week. No, I'm off by five above you, Herbalario. And I'm now down ten. Now let's find out here a fire starter. They probably don't have it. Fifty. Oh! Oh my god, you hit a bullseye. Bullseye. That, that makes us even. Holy shit. Right? Because I was... Oh, no. Uh, means Well, let me see. You get plus five. I gained five on you, and I get uh, five yeah. off. So, that, yeah, we're even. Okay. We're even. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> see, I'm telling you, this. I know what a blowout looks like. You're in the zone this week. I need to really bring it home. I'm going to go with Backdraft. Backdraft. Ron Howard movie. Yes. Kurt Russell. Yes. A ride at Universal Studios. Yes. Is it a ride or more just like a thing you walk uh, past? Uh, I think you get in a, just a trolley you? and then they, you go through the special <laughs> effects that they won't go through. You get in a trolley and then they burn you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Universal Studios. Uh, oh, who guesses first? You do. Backdraft. They can be nice to Howard, but I don't, also don't think it's his... One of his good movies. So let's go 55. 55, says Brady. I think Brady's probably right, but it's probably above that. I'm going to go with 56. <laughs> Give me a bullseye. I need a boom, sir. You're not losing. <laughs> Back. Crap. Oof. 30, I see that red. 38. Which means I'm down one point. All right, God. last movie, Brady. The, guys, this is what the sport is all about. <laughs> Bottom of the fifth, like we only do five. Down by one. And I, who? show me who's in backdraft. Uh, pick based on that. Dennis Quaid? Dennis Quaid. I think I want to say that. Backdraft. How do I... Sh I don't know. You know how to do that. How do I show you who's in it? Uh, oh, some review will say it. Mr. Howard. Mr. Jennifer Howard. Jennifer Jason Lee. She is? Yeah. Okay. Let's go with a Noah Baumbach movie called Margot at the Wedding with Nicole Kidman. I don't know it. And I well, have to guess first. And I'm only one point off you. It's a... Uh, you know. 72. 72? Oh, that's not a bad guess. That's a pretty good guess. 
Oh man, now I really have to think. Now you do. You You're have to think. It won't help you. Well, the last round I just played a point off you, <laughs> so I'd only lose a point if I was wrong on the higher. It's a polarizing movie. Shit, I'm gonna go 71. Hot dog, I think I might lose this one, guys. 71, he says. 71. Was it Margot at the wedding? Margot. I think it has a T in it. Margot. Robbie, 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 Robbie. Margot at the wedding, 66. Oh! oh, oh, oh What's your guess? I guess 71. Oh, which means that you win. Oh my god, that was the most let's, suspenseful round we've let's had. Let's figure out these scores real quick. You you chatterbox, I'll do math. Guys, I I'm mad at myself for winning this one because this this was close. This was really close. Margot at the wedding. The Metacritic page is playing an Instacart ad. Uh, cool, I don't use them. Um I, we do anti-commercials on this. We tell you things not to buy. Don't use fucking Instacart. Go go to a store in this pandemic. Um, Margaret the Wedding, a movie I need to revisit. It's one of those ones that mainstream America will always hate because it's about awful intellectuals being mean to each other. Uh, Nicole Kidman is a terrible person in this movie. Uh which is kind of like the Noah Baumbach continuum. Is it like the extreme ends with like Squid and the Whale and Margot? You get like really nasty smart people. Uh, and lately I think he's gotten kinder. Movies like Marriage Story or Francis Ha, which you can check out. We did a cast of it, one of our earlier casts. are a little more generous, but he's always about kind of very smart but fucked up people. Um... Who kind of run a little roughshod with each other's feelings sometimes you know it's the idea that uh, being intelligent is not the same thing as being emotionally intelligent yes right Rob I'm having a hard time doing math <laughs> hey did you see marriage story um, 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 no <laughs> it's really really great you you like Bombach right you're a I do like Bombach he wrote your uh, your Zisu, Steve Zisu, Life Aquatic. Y yes. He also wrote uh, Adapted Fantastic Mr. Fox, which y I love. Yes, S something, math, things. We're, we're on a Bombach soapbox right now. A soapbox. All right, I'll get off my Bombach soapbox now. Get on your Bombach soapbox I'll and get ride back it down on. the hill. <laughs> Got to spend some more time. Like, <laughs> this is why oh, you do scores. This is like a soapbox racer now. Oh, God. I can't do this. Okay, I'm almost, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. And now we're getting loud. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I mean, I guess it would stand to reason that I would win by two, right? Because was it... You win by three. Three. Because okay. it, uh, when I thought we were even, I was actually under by one. Okay. Uh, uh, I just That's real close. Yes, I know. Razor margins. Yes, I know. So your score is 42, okay. while my score is 45. 
That's well what played. That's what happened. Well played. Commence with the swearing. Swear. Swear. I swear, Brady. I met a critical. I won again. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we left off, uh, we were saying we spent more time on the plotting in this movie. A lot of time. 30 minutes because it's a three-hour movie. Yeah, um, but that's just like one sixtieth. The yeah, no, no, no. This is. I mean, just to sorry, say, ten sixtieths. One sixth the amount of the movie. Fractions. Who doesn't love them? Exactly. You come here so you don't have to watch the movie. Yeah, and or do fractions. Uh, so I, no, I was just gonna say, like this movie for me is an example of uh, you kind of could call it character through action, where it's like the movie kind of lives by its plotting. I think it's a very elegantly constructed narrative. And kind of like the gradual erosion of Michael. Uh, and I respect a movie like that. I like a lot of movies that are more like in the abstract, kind of thematic, poetic. You know, like your Terrence Malick's, which are just like meditations. But I really respect a movie where the plotting feeds uh, so elegantly into the character. Uh, this is, you know, a great example of just so well constructed. And the things that happen and the things the characters do... Uh, reveals things about the themes and about the characters themselves. One among many reasons why I think this is a terrific film. An opinion that is shared by many. Yeah, I just like the way Coppola sets up scenes. Yeah, there... And makes, like, that thing I was talking about before. He puts everything at the same color. And then, as the colors go... Mm -hmm. He'll give you a, a different color, and he'll really make it stand out. And that might have been more the cinematographer, who I don't know who did cinematography for this movie. Oh, I know. Is it... Uh, wait. Shit. I usually know. <laughs> is it Storaro? Okay, I don't know. I forget. But I believe they did shoot it in full frame 35, and then... Yeah. Then cropped it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't anamorphic, it was just uh, just your normal 16 by 9. Uh -huh. Oh yeah, they cropped it. <laughs> they shot it in full frame and cropped it as opposed to using an anamorphic lens. Uh, Which is something I think of when I watch movies. Yeah, no, no, you... It wasn't the super wide screen. Right, right. It was like the way Scorsese does it. Okay. Not the way Kubrick does it, though. Kubrick just shoots... What's Kubrick do? Well, it depends on... The 2001 Space Odyssey shot with Panavision. Okay. But everything else, he just shoots a square. Shoots a square. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're all just squares. Um, squares. A bunch of squares. Square. Squirrel. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Are we picking next week's? Yeah. Why don't you go first? Um, Night of the Comet. Night of the Comet. Who who does Night of the Comet? I don't know. Okay. It was on Comet. <laughs> it was on Comet. Um, okay, hold on. I'm gonna think. I'm gonna count to a number, and then I'm gonna pick, because that's the that's the way you do it. I am going to go with a movie that is called The Right Stuff. Oh, that one. Well, you know what I'm gonna do. Mm. I'm going to go with um, The Party. 
The Peter Pardon? Sellers from 69. Oh, fun. 68. Is that a Blake 69? Edwards? 68. I don't know. Um, I haven't seen it. Okay. Well, that'll keep us on our toes. All right, so you've done The Party and... Sorry, say the other one again. Night of the Comet, the which I also suggested Comet. last week and the week before, I think. Okay, and then do I do a second one? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to do... A movie by one of my favorite filmmakers. His name's Eric Romer. He's one of the French New Wave guys, uh, often credited with being uh, the big inspiration behind Richard Linklater. Uh, and uh, a movie he did, a very pretty-looking movie from the 70s called Claire's Knee. Okay. So of these, I'll put up to your, your, your moon one. The right stuff. The right stuff, okay. And then which one are you going to put up? Well, the gentlemanly thing to do would be to put up one of yours. What was the first one? Night of the Comet. And then the other one was The Party. And tell me one more time who does Night of the Comet. It's about two two sisters, and they're kind of feuding about something with a date or the, the prom. And then this comet goes, and everybody's undead now because of the comet. Oh, and then okay. they're just running around in an undead world. You know what? I'm going to do the party because the Sellers kind of sounds fun. Yeah, the Sellers sounds fun. Yeah. I like Sellers. Yeah, me too. I like Peter Sellers. He's, he's good. All right. I'm going to take evens. Okay. Uh, I'm odds. All right. Ready? One, two, three, mm. shoot. Odds. Odds. All right. So we're watching the party. <laughs> yeah, <shit>. Yeah. <laughs> now that'll be fun. Peter Sellers. Indeed. Who did we mention this week? Uh, I don't think we did. No, earlier on you mentioned Jed. Jed. Oh, yeah, Jed. Jed was mentioned. Jed Hart. Theme song? Theme song. <laughs> Carnivorous couch. It happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch. With Brady and Rob. You're not part of this. Right. Even though you're my wife.